0: Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly
1: Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all.
0: Hello, and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me in the virtual studios in beautiful South Bend, Indiana, is my Partner in crime, so to speak. The good good kind of crime. And, uh, you know, when Metallica was writing their hit, Master of Puppets, you know, they wanted to write a song about my co-host. And the working title was Master of Spatchcock. (laughs) <laughs> but they decide to change it at the last minute. The one and only Ken Hellenius.
1: Ken! <laughs> how
0: you doing, my friend?
1: I am well, thank you. Here we are deep into the uh, the holiday season, you know, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I get so much feedback, uh, so much joy that uh, that video I recorded several years ago on how to properly butterfly a turkey. And the technical term to butterfly a turkey is to spatchcock it. And that's a fun thing to say, for one, and it's an even funner thing to do, to cut cut the turkey. <laughs> He's backbone out and then, you know, kind of spread it open so that the heat gets to it. It cooks faster. It's much more moist, but, uh, yeah, so many people have enjoyed that video over the years. And this year I continued my series of power tools in the kitchen, as I like to call it by using a, a huge blowtorch to, uh, to properly Brown the top, uh, of the, the sweet potato casserole, you know, that with marshmallows, you know, many marshmallows go on top of your sweet potato uh, casserole. And, and uh, so we used a uh, shop torch to do it. And uh, it, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, Obviously people enjoyed it as well. So if you want to see that it's over on Facebook Uh, and actually I'll share it to our, to our living stones media group. Uh, So go to living stones media on Facebook and I'll share that little video. It's a lot of fun. And uh, plus you get to see me in a bespoke, pilgrim hat that my wife made out of construction paper i felt just like a a preschooler wearing a construction uh, paper uh, pilgrim hat uh because we couldn't find my my felt uh, pilgrim hat that i like to wear at the on thanksgiving so yeah thanks thanks for the uh, for the <laughs> shout out there deacon it was a lot of fun
0: Oh, how cool is that? Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, and,
1: you know, here we are deep in Advent right now, right? We're, we're preparing the, our hearts for the second coming at, and at the same time recalling the, the Lord's first appearance and his great incarnation that led to our salvation. Of course, Christmas for us as Catholics is shockingly not the Highest feast of the church's year. That feast is Easter, because Easter is when our very salvation is accomplished, when Christ gives his life to re- redeem the world and to heal our sin and also to open the way for us to to heaven and to communion with the Trinity, Um, which is the most perfect reason why, even now, we are discussing this wonderful document from the Conference of Catholic Bishops. The U.S. bishops voted this just last month in November, a document entitled The Mystery of the Eucharist in the Life of the Church, and it focuses particularly on the Eucharist as sacrifice and how that sacrifice redeems us. And so as we pick up our conversation tonight, we're actually going to be in in the midst of a conversation we ended last week on a thrilling kind of cliffhanger, you were uh, getting ready to explain to us what Christ was saying at the Last Supper and the importance of his words uh, for our life, especially our life as we celebrate Mass each week. So, Deacon, I'm excited to hear the, the thrilling continuation of, uh, <laughs> of the Last Supper.
0: Well, you know, throughout this document, The bishops refer, uh, obviously, to the Eucharist, the docket about the Eucharist, referring back to its connection with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And, you know, I think one of the the keys of really understanding the power of what Christ is doing at the Mass is understanding what Christ is saying at the Mass. What does he mean? And so I just want to just do a short reflection on Christ's words. So when he says, this is my body, right? And so many times we often think that he's speaking just metaphorically, right? I mean, yeah. non-Catholics would say he's speaking metaphorically, just symbolically. But how do we know he's speaking literally? I mean, the words in Greek are, Tauto esteem to literally, this is the body of me. And when you look at that sentence construction, I even asked a, an, actually an atheist Greek scholar about this. And I asked him to, to, to tell me what is going on in that sentence. He said, the subject of the sentence, is making absolute identification with the object. So in other words, a person that's speaking is saying that whatever the object is that he's holding in his hands, that is himself. So if it was bread that he was holding, you would expect to see the word artos, which is the masculine noun for bread. But tauto, which is the demonstrative pronoun, doesn't modify bread because it's it, tauto is neuter that means it has to modify another neuter noun that comes later in that same sentence which is soma which is body so so when he says this it's modifying by so whatever this is is not bread it's his body literally literally that's what Christ is saying that this is my body now you may not believe it but that's what he's that's literally what he's saying yeah um uh, why is that important because this guy's an atheist who explained this to me? That means he doesn't have a dog in the fight, right? I mean, he doesn't he doesn't care what the Catholics say, what the Protestants say? He's just looking at the words of Christ, looking objectively. This is what it's saying. So, um, so if you want it to mean something else, you have to apply a, a principle called exegesis. So exegesis is what this Greek scholar did. He he looked at the text and extracted the meaning of the text from the text itself. If you want it to mean something else, you have to bring your own meaning into the text. And now the text doesn't say what it what it actually means. It means what you want it to mean. Mm-hmm. That's called mm-hmm. eisegesis. So yeah. that's the first thing. The second thing is, because this is the blood of the covenant, and which is a referral back to Exodus chapter 24. And if you look at Exodus 24, starting at verse 3, this is really, again, in very much seed form, an outline for the mass, which is why... Jesus refers to. What do I mean? In verse 3, Moses says he comes to all the people and he brings the words of the Lord, the commandments and orders of the Lord before the people. That's the word. And when he reads the word to the people, the people respond by saying all that the Lord has said we will do. And so then he creates the altar. See, after the word, now he, the way the, the, the deacon or the priest prepares the altar, that's what he does next. He builds the, the altar on the mountain with the 12 pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Right. And then once he has set the altar, he takes the blood and he pours half of the blood on the altar in order to consecrate that altar. Right. Then again, he takes the book of the covenant and he, verse 7 says he read it in the hearing of the people and the people again respond all that the Lord has said we will do. And then they add and we will be obedient. Then he took the other half of the blood and he threw it on the people. Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. So we have word, preparation of the altar, the blood is upon the altar, then the blood is upon the people. Then you look at Christ when he's doing this last supper. He spent three years preaching. Now he's preparing them, like he's preparing the altar for the sacrifice that's gonna happen on Good Friday. And he says, uh, and it says, this is the blood of the covenant, the same words wow. that Moses is, is 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 saying and the actions that he's doing in Exodus 24. It is a beautiful connection um, uh, to what Christ is doing here. Again, showing us that what he is doing is offering sacrifice.
1: And he even identifies it as the new and everlasting covenant, the new and eternal covenant That's in right. my it, blood, yes,
0: as he says. The consummation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Um. And, of course, we see this not only presented to the apostles at the Last Supper by, as they share from the one cup, the cup that he has identified as his blood, but then we see the exact same thing on Good Friday on the cross itself, the altar of the cross, when his side is pierced and what flows out from his side but blood and water. And those flow out. And later we're going to see in this document, you know, St. Augustine identifies that blood and water that flow out are... That which washes us, the water is that which washes us, baptism, and the blood is that which is the sacrifice that we consume, the Eucharist, the blood of Christ itself. And we even see the same image in the, the image of the divine mercy. The two rays of light that flow from the side of Christ are blue for water and red for blood. Again, there you go. the, the salvation it. and the mercy of God flowing from the wound in the side of Christ, the, the sacrificed Christ.
0: You know, one thing that people may be asking at this point, Ken, is why did Jesus offer bread and wine? I mean, if he's doing a sacrifice, yeah. why did he just, like, offer an animal, you know? or, or sorry, Well, first of all, he is the Lamb of God, the, right? The Agnus Dei Quetoli Picata Mundi, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world at the Passover, right? The, um, the male right. unblemished lamb. But why does he offer bread and wine? It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 14 and the figure of Melchizedek. Right, mm. The Melech Zedek in Hebrew, which is the, the king of righteousness. So remember when Abram, he wasn't called Abraham yet, so Abram means exalted father. So, so when, when Abram meets Melchizedek, Abram uh, uh, offers the tithe uh, to Melchizedek because right? he recognizes the superior priesthood of Melchizedek over his own priesthood. And what does Melchizedek offer in return? Bread and wine. OK, mm-hmm. now, why is that important? If you look at Psalm 110, Psalm written by David, which is called the Messianic Psalm of Fulfillment, it says Now, again, David is talking not about himself and not about his son Solomon, but he's talking about the foreshadowing the Savior. Right. And he says, you are, again, re- referring to the Savior, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Right. Yep. So, again, what do he offer? Bread. And wine. So what did Jesus offer? Yes, he's doing it within the context of the Passover, where they offer unleavened bread and wine. But then Jesus, of course, changes and alters the words because now he's connecting it back to, to the language of sacrifice. You know, um, uh, and he says, do this in memory. Again, a very, very powerful word. Um, uh, Zachar, the word for memory in Hebrew, doesn't mean remember the past. Um, it means that the, the graces and blessings of, of an event in the past are made real and present now. You know, um, and yeah. so, I mean, this is, I mean, th- that's why Jesus' words are so important. But we, we hear it every week at Mass, Ken. And and so often I think, are we just letting those words just pass us by? And that's why I know we're taking time on this, but I think it's a critically important that people understand the connection. When they hear these words at Mass and they see the acts of the priest, they need to understand how powerful what is going on there and how that action is exactly what Jesus calls the priest to do and causes us to participate in for our salvation. Now, Jesus tells us how he wants to be worshipped. For example, he said, well, praise and worship. Where does Jesus say, do praise and worship? He doesn't say that. He says, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, not when you do this, remember me. When you do this, this is the sacrifice that makes real and present right now, the sacrifice I am making for you on the cross at Calvary.
1: And this is exactly what the bishops are underlining and underscoring. I mean, paragraph 14 begins with a rhetorical question. Why is it so important <laughs> that we understand the Eucharist as a sacrifice? It is because All that Jesus did for the salvation of humanity is made present in the celebration of the Eucharist, including his sacrificial death and resurrection. This is, for us, exactly how we are brought to the foot of the cross, how that blood and water that flow are applied to us in the here and now. It's not that we're re-sacrificing Christ. No, what we're doing is exactly what you said in the Hebrew word, zacher, To make present that which has already happened in the past. To bring those graces right here, right now. Those graces which were poured out on the cross. We are the ones who are transported to the foot of the cross in the Eucharist. We are the ones who are transported to that eternal banquet that is taking place. That's why, you know, we say the angels and the saints are gathered around us that we can't see, but we are together standing with them at the foot of the cross and the altar of the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is such a wonderful image. Of course, a friend of the show, Dr. Scott Hahn wrote a beautiful book about this, the the Lamb Supper, which is the Mass. Uh, you know, it goes through the Mass and, and shows how he, as a Protestant, realized that what is taking place at the Mass is the divine liturgy in heaven, and we are brought there. The bishops go on in this paragraph 14 to say, his blood shed for us is the eternal sign of that love. As a memorial, the Eucharist is not another sacrifice, but the re-presentation of the sacrifice of Christ by which we are reconciled to the Father. This is perhaps the most important sentence in the entire section, to be honest, because that's what's taking place in the Mass, and that's why— that's why not only are we commanded to go to Mass every Sunday, but that we should go out of sheer love and desire to be in communion with God as often as we can. Go to daily Mass if you can, because you are being brought f- back to the foot of the cross where your salvation has been effected.
0: That's right. We're not killing Christ over and over and over again every time we offer the sacrifice of the Mass. It's the one sacrifice of Christ that's made real and present right now in space and time uh, on the altar during the Mass. So let me ask you this, Ken. I mean, literally my heart is pounding right now. I'm so excited yeah. in talking about this because I mean, I think we, we've we studied this. We both understand, the, the and hopefully we're articulating to our to our listeners, the depth and the richness and the beauty and the power of what Christ is doing at every single Mass. How can we get people to really appreciate that when they're at mass? You know, often we're so distracted and we, and because we go to mass every week it's the same words if you will, right, over and over again, but how can we I mean, what can we do mentally or or psychologically somehow to just really focus in especially during the consecration? Yes, we've heard it. We've been to mass a million times, but how can we make those words come alive in our own lives at the mass? Like I've been praying the psalms since I was 14. I never get tired of praying the psalms. Yeah, a number of them I know by heart, but because I'm no longer 14, right? I'm in my 50s now. Um, I experience the psalm in a different way because yeah. I'm at a different point in my life. How how can we get people experience that same kind of thing. I'm just, I'm just, there's no right answer. I'm just, I'm just, Right. this is just, to me, as as we're going through this, I'm like, man, I wish everybody, like, could just focus in on this when they're at Mass. How much people would get so much more out of it if they understood the depth of what's happening?
1: Yeah, you know, that's something that I think about a lot during Mass too, because, you know, I go to a parish that's filled with families and with and joyful families. They're bringing all of their, you know, their children are there. They're not they're not necessarily absenting themselves into the cry room. They're sitting in the pews and their children are squirrely. And mom and dad are, are, of course, you know, trying to get them settled down and they're chasing them out into the into the aisleways and things like that. And and of course, there are times in my life when I was like, oh, my gosh, how distracting is this? How, you know, how, how can they be focused? How can people enter into the, this awesome miracle that literally is taking place 15 feet in front of our faces. And yet at the same time, I realize I too get distracted. Like, what am I thinking about right now as I'm focused on these children instead of on the miracle that's taking place 15 feet in front of my face. And that's actually something that's when I begin to return to what is father saying? What is the priest praying right now? What are these words and what do they mean? What does it mean when we say in communion with the whole church with, you know, I almost said John Paul, our Pope, because that he was the Pope that I grew <laughs> yeah, up with. Right? Yeah. But, you know, in communion with Francis, our Pope and, and Kevin, our Bishop. And I began to enter into the very words, because even when you get distracted, all it takes to return to attention is to listen and then to begin to make that prayer your very own, and to realize I've seen Francis with my very own eyes. I've prayed with Bishop Kevin Rhodes with my very own. I mean, I prayed with him just last week, you know, and so you begin to realize that these aren't just words. These are words that my pastor is praying on my behalf, on behalf of all of the distracted parents to the left and right, on behalf of the elderly who are sick and homebound who can't join us, all of these people. And so you begin to put yourself back into the presence of the mass being prayed right in front of you. And those distractions, in a sense, don't matter because you're back to what's taking place. And here's the other thing that is also a great consolation to me at mass is that I'm not the one doing the work. Christ is the one who did the work for me already. He is the one who loved us first. Our response is an act of love, it's an act of obedience, and it's an act of charity. But Christ is the one who loved us first. And so even in my weakest moments, when I'm rolling into Mass a few minutes late and really thinking of all the other things I could be doing, the fact that I'm here and just being bathed in Christ's love is enough. That's what I find that a great consolation sometimes. Oh, that's beautiful, Ken.
0: That that's awesome. and I and I know our listeners are gonna be edified. And I and I really hope that out of all the episodes um that we've done on the show over the past five years, that people maybe take this one and share it with, you know, that young those young parents who are <laughs> who feel embarrassed because their kids are so loud at mass and, and they feel that they're not getting a lot out of it. Yeah. Or for the fall away. Catholic, and the person who left the church because they, they said, I wasn't being fed, or, you know, so to, to just really stop and say, wait a minute, why am I not completely satisfied in the church where I am right now, which praise and worship, which is wonderful, I mean, singing and praising the Lord, right? but again, Jesus tells us how he wants to be worshipped, how he wants to be honored, and these words mean something, and, and you're right, I mean, if you say a word over and over again, it starts to lose its meaning. Yeah. Right. And we yep. what I don't want to have happen, what you articulated so beautifully, Ken, is these aren't just work. Yeah, we hear them every week, but every week, you know, they should have that same beauty and importance because maybe something else is going on in our life right now to connect our life and our experience at this moment in time with what Christ is doing for us at the altar and at the mass. <laughs> right. Right. I think that's a wonderful key. I I. I love the way you, you you articulate. That was great.
1: It's. Uh, I, I will say it. It just came to me because this is one of the things. I again, as I mentioned before, I get distracted as much as anyone else, and in some ways, having read. You know, so many of the documents about the Mass and, you know, having been to Masses all over the world, both Masses that I would describe as exceedingly reverent and others where, um, you know, I just have to trust that the priest has the right intention because everything else is not what I expect. All of those Masses, in some ways, the more you know about the Mass, the more distracted you can get because you know what to expect. And then when something doesn't go the way you expect here, you get annoyed. This happens to me. And it's, it's a, honestly, it's a form of Pharisaism, to be honest, you know? I mean, it's to say, well, I'm better than Father who's celebrating this Mass because I know how he should be doing it. And many of us are prone to that. Um, but we have to trust that Holy Mother Church is doing exactly what Christ said. Do this in memory of me. The Eucharist is the single most important thing of our of our lives, it's the source and summit of the Christian life, as we've already heard the bishops say once in this document, and we'll hear him say it again. the The Eucharist is that which everything is oriented towards. We are baptized and confirmed so that we might fully participate and receive all the graces of, of the Eucharist, and then we are nourished ongoing by the Eucharist. And it's a gift to us, which is what this entire section is about. The Eucharist is a gift, and so yeah, I I love. Praying the Mass, and it's an invitation to enter into the love of Christ. That's what it is.
0: Oh, absolutely. And in the paragraph 15 there, it makes a connection now between what well, makes the connection saying that the uh, Passover, which is a, a, both a meal and a sacrifice, again, is mirrored in the Mass. It's both a, a meal and a sacrifice. Right. So it's both. And what we want to make sure, I think that the bishops do a good job here, Ken, is making sure that we, there's a balance, <laughs> you know, that there's a balance, that we're not emphasizing one too much over the other because it's both and. Right. So we don't want to make it like, I think that's what happened. I think the frustration after, um, uh, after Vatican II is so that some people said there was so much emphasis on the meal aspect. Of it that it lost, that that's why you see some of the abuses at Mass because it's such an emphasis on meal, like I said at of the altar, they say the table. Right. And, you know, and that, and that kind of stuff. And so we have to have this beautiful balance that it's actually
1: both. It's both and. The old Catholic both and, you know, always important to remember. Um, and then paragraph 16 kind of underscores that, again, the sacrifice is made, as it says, this sacrifice is made present ever anew sacramentally perpetuated. So again, we're not re-sacrificing Christ. It is the it's the perpetuation in time of uh, of the one sacrifice of Christ. It's in every community which offers it at the hands of the consecrated ministers. So, again, we are doing this not as a local community on our own, but we are doing it in communion with the church throughout the world. And, that is, and the church throughout the world is represented in this community by our consecrated minister, priests who have that apostolic succession. They are ordained by the very apostles alive today uh, in the in the persons of the bishops.
0: Yeah, and paragraph 17 with just a few lines there says that the great sacrament is also a participation in the worship offered in heaven. Yeah. And has that beautiful reference to Revelation 19, verse 9, um, blessed are those who are called to the, the wedding feast of the, literally in Greek, is, is the wedding feast of the Lamb that Pope Benedict points out. And I, right. I just wonder why we didn't keep that in the translation, when we translate it into English, why didn't we, I mean, we say, blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Right. But but literally in Greek is, again, as Pope Benedict points out here, it's it's a marriage feast or wedding feast of the Lamb in Greek. And I, I just wish we would have kept that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would have yeah. been a, a nice um, connection, even back to Genesis, right? In a sense, the in, in a primordial way, the first, say, if you will, sacrament mentioned is marriage. Right. Where, mm-hmm. where the two become one. Right. Um, you know, and then here in the Eucharist, the two become one. We unite ourselves, our bodies with the, with the body, blood, soul, divinity of Christ. Again, this marriage feast, which anticipates the heavenly marriage feast for Christ, the bridegroom, will be giving life to his bride for the church forever in heaven. I love
1: it. And this and and that image, again, kind of again, both and, but this is how we wrap up this first section on the Eucharist as Gift specifically focusing on the Eucharist as a sacrifice. And with that, we're going to wrap up our conversation tonight. Uh, and when we pick it up next week, we'll discuss the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. But until then, we invite you to connect with us on Facebook. You can go to Living Stones Media. And again, we'll have a little link up there so you can see the uh, video on how to properly torch your side dishes for your uh, holiday meals. But uh, you can also download previous episodes of the show at radio. Deacon Harold, might we have a blessing until next week.
0: May Almighty God bless you and keep you the
1: Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones.
0: You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Helanius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M A T E R D E I radio.com.